welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Church, what's up? Uh, I forgot to do something in pre-service prayer, so before I jump, I, I, would, I need eight intercessors for this service right now. I need eight hands to go up to intercede for this gathering, um, and I actually want you to spread out so to be in the corners of the room. We did this last week. I just really believe I need eight of you, so eight, raise your hands and move. So we got one here, two, three, four, where are the other hands? Five. I need, I need a couple more, six, thank you, seven, eight. Would you guys just move around to be in the corners of the room? I know that sounds silly. Um, but I really, I really believe more and more, and thank you, in the, re, the reality that this is a contested space. And um, as I've been immersing myself in the book of Ephesians, reading commentaries, realizing what we're up against when it comes to society, culture, the world, and Satan. Satan? Um, <laughs> stuck in my head. Uh, I, I'm realizing that we have to battle with the weapons that God gives us. And so... As I preach the word of God and speak about fundamental truths about who you are in Christ, um, the enemy is going to come after you right now through distraction, through self-doubt, through fears, through loads of things. And your task right now, because I have some intercessors for you, is to open yourself up to God, to be attentive to his word. So let's pray again. For the, uh, for, for the sermon that is here, uh, we, we prayed for all sorts of things, but I want to ask that God would impart something. I talked about this last week. If you missed last week, you need to go back and listen. I had some like one-off statements that I, I won't repeat because um, I was fired up. And, uh, but I do feel like today uh, is, is going to be fruitful uh, for many of you. And I'm just anticipating the work God's going to do in you. Not because of anything I've prepared, but, but I'm so convinced of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Um, so Father, would you release your grace that you, it says in Ephesians, you bless us. You fill us, you, uh, you've chosen us, you've lavished on us, you've adopted us, you have, uh, according to your pleasure and will, uh, adopted us into sonship. And Lord, we just recognize that there are powers in this world working against you and your way of life and working against us. And so we don't come with t- uh, fear or or a timid spirit, we come with confidence knowing who we are. And I ask that your spirit now would release in us the ability to receive your word and grow as a result. Help us combat the lies that the enemy has planted inside of us, the lies that culture sells us and tells us, and the lies our family systems have created within us, and allow us to live as true disciples of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 1, here we go. Um, the letter, we're in this book called Ephesians. We did uh, verse 1a last week, and so we're doing verse 1b. So the second part, uh, which is to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Last week, I talked about Paul being an apostle and what that looked like. Um, but this letter is written uh, as a general letter to the churches, not just in Ephesus, but around Asia Minor. So it was a circular letter um, that wasn't given an occasion other than this was like a homily, a, a sermon, if you will, for what it means to be the church. And so I talked about the details of this letter, but um, the thing that you need to know is Ephesus was a very 
uh, large city. It was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was the epicenter for Artemis worship. And it had a whole cultural way of existence. Um, and they, the historians said that to be Ephesian was to worship Artemis. And so part of the cultural identity was to worship um, Artemis. And so the question that I'm asking for the next several months as we go through this book is, how did Paul take pagan Artemis worshipers and transform them into passionate Jesus followers? And so what we're working out off right now is um, this idea of, of how Paul will do this, and that's in the book. Hey, for all the intercessors, would you just be a little quieter? Because um, you're, you're just, I hear you, and it's totally distracting me. I want you to pray, but just a little quieter for me. Sorry about that. Keep interceding. I need the intercession, but I get a little distracted, okay? Sorry about that. Pray in tongues quietly. I'm totally fine with it. Um, so let's just, Romans, um, so Ephesians 1, it says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins with this statement, to God's holy people. I just, I just need to zero in on this verse because it's not just a greeting. It's so rooted and drenched in deep theology. Um, I want to show you how Paul addresses the church. So if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 1. Let me just hear those pages. I'm just waiting for you. Romans chapter 1. There's seven of us with a Bible here. That's cool. You can, you can scroll. I'm, if you're reading it, great. Uh, verse 7, it says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Now, I don't know what version you have. I'm reading NIV. Your version might say saints. To the saints in Ephesus. To God's holy people in Rome. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. It says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, praise God, hallelujah, and called to be his holy people. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's just get the, the themes that's going on. I want you to see what's going on in Paul's writings as he addresses the church, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Are you guys scrolling? Um, to verse, verse 1, it says, To the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people. Did I lose you? I'm reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, you guys are gone. Okay. Right when you said that, I heard the verse in my head, faith comes through hearing. So, man, good word. Good <laughs> word. <laughs> There's an angel of the spirit whispering. <laughs> Philippians, read with me in Philippians. <laughs> Let me be specific. First, one, to all gods, thank you. Let's not get tired of hearing holy because we get to Revelation and there are beings designed in the heavenly throne room who will worship for all of eternity saying holy, holy, holy. Colossians chapter one. I'm going to give you a hint. <laughs> you want to know what I'm going to ask to God's holy people. All right, you get the point. Paul takes a group of 10 to 30 people, this section right here, right, you guys right here, 
and he put you guys in a house church. And then, and then you plan another house church and then you, you gather and you plan another church, house church and then some of you get persecuted, some of you get killed. And, and then he, he writes this letter. You used, to, you used to worship Artemis. You used to use potions as a way to access God and control the reality around you. Um, we might think that potions are archaic. Potions are what we still, um, some people still use potions, by the way, today. But potions um, are forms of idolatry in the Old Testament, forms of um, witchcraft, which is a form of trying to control the outcome of life. Right? We don't have to do that. We know who has all authority and power, who's sovereign. We don't need to access disassociated, disinterested deities. Our God is interested but he takes this group of pagan worshipers and, and over a period of time, they become passionate Jesus followers. And he takes these broken ex-military anti-Jesus murderers and he calls them saints. Holy, the word in Greek is hagioi. Can you say that one? Hagioi, that's a good word. Throw that around when you get in your water with social distance at your office place bringing the mask down and then sipping back up or whatever you do at your office place. I don't know how you guys get water. Um, you just bring your Nalgene or your, your Hydro Flask. I get it. Hagioi means pure, set apart, saints. It means power washed from the inside out. It means cleansed and purged of all iniquity. To the saints in Long Beach, to the holy people in Seal Beach, to the saints in Lakewood, to the saints in Costa Mesa, to the saints of Los Angeles, to the saints of Orange County. This is how Paul addresses the church. He calls them saints. Now, if you are studying scripture and you want to learn how to understand the word, one of the things that you need to do to help understand the the meaning of words is find um, the, the first place it was used in the scriptures. So the question, it's called the principle of first mention. It's a hermeneutical skill that when you want to know how to use this word, you go back to the first time it's mentioned. Now we have a New Testament and Old Testament. Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Greek. But the counterpart to Haggio Haggioi is found in the Old Testament in Exodus 19. I want you to go to Exodus 19. Actually go there. Don't just hear me. Don't just look for it. Go there. I want you to see this in your Bibles. I want you to highlight it. And I want you to become a, a student of the word. We need to be students of scripture. Exodus 19 is where this word holy is used in this particular case um, for the first time. And so it's, it's a defining moment. It's probably the most defining moment in the Old Testament for the people of God. The Israelites are freed from Egypt. They're brought to Mount Sinai. And here at Mount Sinai is where God, Yahweh, speaks the words of life, Torah, the Ten Commandments, and makes a covenant with his people. He, he, he makes a covenant. He's going to make a commitment to them. And he brings all sorts of language. It's like a marriage ceremony, this moment in scripture. But listen to what God says to Israel. He says, verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. 
how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So the whole past of being once slaves and God redeems them and delivers them from their oppression and now they're set free and they're standing in front of this mountain and God speaks to them. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. What's a priest do? A priest is a mediator, an intercessor. A priest is someone who stands uh, in the gap on behalf of someone else. It's, it's someone else. It's someone who represents God to the people and the people back to God. That's what a priest is. So you'll be an entire kingdom of priests. Not just, not you won't just have priests among you. You all. Y'all are going to be priests and a holy nation. Holy nation. God draws Israel out of Egypt. He woos them to the mountain. He makes a covenant with them. And it's in this moment, he says, his desire and dream for Israel is for them to be his representatives on earth. Their new vocation is priest, but their new identity is holy. They're called by God to be like God, in that God is holy, holy, set apart, sacred. The the Old Testament word is beautiful for holy. It's kadosh. Hagioi kadosh. Can you say kadosh? It means holy, commanding respect, awesome, singled out, consecrated for. So when you think of holiness, you think of this idea that God sets people apart from the world to be set apart for God's purposes. What what does it mean today to be holy? It means to be set apart from the world and its ways in order to be set apart for God's purposes purposes. You are set apart from the world to be set apart for God's purposes. This is the vocation and identity of Israel. God's plan with Israel, according to the Old Testament, was to train the Israelites to be human, to learn what it means to be back into the Garden of Eden, and to then extend God's way of life found in the Garden, that way you were designed to be. Holiness is just stepping into who you were designed to be in the first place before sin and shame and fear entered into the story. God draws Israel to himself. He says, you, your new identity and vocation is this. And he desires them to live in such a way that they reflect like a mirror God's image to the broken world. God partners with humanity and he invites humanity to have this special purpose to reflect him into the world And God gives them a new way of living and he shows them a way of aligning themselves to the way they were designed to be. Holiness is about identity and mission in the world. Holiness in the Old Testament is a reminder, a shorthand for living out the covenant God gave them. 
So regularly, the prophets will call out the sin and lack of holiness throughout uh, the the history of Israel because they continued to fail to live out who they are. You see, what God does is he, throughout the Old Testament, is he requires his people, his leaders, his nation to live holy. And they blow it over and over again. How many of you know the story of the Old Testament? The Old Testament is a story of the people of God being shown, this is what you're called to be. And then they continue to live outside side of who they were called to be. And God brings all sorts of judgment. But it's not just that. God also provides a way for the people of God to be holy. So right after this confession of desire and hope, God gives them the Ten Commandments. And then he gives them the the 613 commandments found in the Old Testament, the Torah. So he gives them these rules and festivals and ways of observing life based on this new identity and vocation. And for them, in order to maintain their identity, they had to live out the rules and regulations, right? In order to be who they were created to be, they had to keep up with the rules and regulations. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So the Old Testament, you see it over and over again. God almost requires sacrifice in order to experience holiness. In order for them to be who they were. So you have these stories over and over again where there's a sacrifice required in order to experience the holiness God desires. So right before this moment in Exodus, God says, consecrate yourselves. Over and over again, consecration is the act of making something holy. So you see over and over again, the Israelites are confronted with this opposition. And if they want to see God move, if they want God to show up, they have to make themselves holy for them to do it. So Joshua chapter three, God tells the Israelites they're gonna cross over the Jordan, but consecrate themselves before they they split the Jordan. In, in other words, over and over again, consecration is the key thing that ex, uh, in order for the Israelites to experience God's visitation. Consecration precedes God's visitation. In other words, another way to say it, throughout the Old Testament, consecration, making something holy, is what empowers God's presence to dwell with the people. How are we doing? Consecration. So you see over and over again, uh, God reminding his people to live holy lives. And you have all these vows that you could take, that you could separate, you, could, you can consecrate yourselves in more intentional ways so you can live from this place of purity and holiness. Because holiness is such a big deal because it has to do with the identity and vocation of the people of God. In other words, holiness is about usefulness for God's purposes. Holiness is about your obedience to God's covenant. Holiness is about standing in your identity, living out of your identity. Holiness is about being empowered to live out God's purposes wherever you go. And over and over again, God calls his people to be holy because it has something to do with remaining faithful to who you were created to be. Holiness has something to do with identity and purpose. Who you are and what you are created to do on earth, works and purpose. Are you with me? Okay, I feel like it's a little fuzzy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my brother to come back out here. Um, we're going we're gonna to demonstrate this. Brian, will you? Are you back there? I hear you walking. Do we have, um, can, you, can we play a game of catch? Will you stand on that side? Um, here, you take this. 
I'm going to demonstrate this. So you got your old mug or mitt when you were a kid. So God, this is my, my uh, God created you with a, a purpose. Your identity is that like you were, you were created in God's image to live holy. Holiness, come a little closer. Holiness, yes. Holiness is about doing, being the person you were created to be. And let's just for a moment say, God created you to play catch. Right? And so the act of playing catch is living out of what God created you to be. So, so Brian and I are going to play catch. Brian, just, no, no. <laughs> let's, just, let's just practice some, some underhand toss. I know, it's like so close. All right, like, and like, you play, play, you know, we're going to play catch. We're going to field some balls. Look at the great form. Oh, you got to put the hand down. You got to look at the sidearm. Like we're doing what we're created to do. How good it is. But what happens is things come into our life that become obstacles for us obstacles or they prevent us from being the person we were created to be and doing things we were created to do. Those things are called sin, shame, and fear. Let me demonstrate a little more. So like, so Brian, how old? You're 36 years old. So Brian, this bag is 45 pounds. Um, And let's just say this is 36 years of shame you've lived with, okay? Um, So you just put on that, that ruck bag. There you go. And so Brian's lived for 36 years of dealing with shame and brokenness and all sorts of issues. I want you to just play catch with, with the, the weight you have there on your back. It's a little, it's a little harder. Um, <laughs> you know, a little slower on the knees. Huh? Like, it, makes it, it makes it a little harder, right? It makes it a little harder to, to play, to be, to do the things. You're, but, but it's not just... It's not just the 36 years of shame that Brian's walking around with. You know, oh man, this is, this is the original pursuit bag for our pursuit guys, our guys in pursuit. Um, any, any men doing pursuit 90 here? There's, oh, there's nobody here. Okay, there's, you're not very proud of it apparently. So, um, you know, but let me just, let me just, you know, we, we have, like Brian has, I know, let's just pretend for a minute, he's, he's, shot some people on social media. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's just a tat or, or <laughs> no, or let's just say he's thrown, he's thrown negative words. He's married. He's, th- he's shot some negative words at his spouse. No doubt. No doubt. He's, he's lived, <clears throat> he's lived with like lust as a young man, you know, uh, he's lived with uh, comparison throughout his life. He's lived with insecurity of being the person he really wants to be and being comparing himself to everyone else and, and the fear. Oh, and this, is, this was for marital conflict right here. I was going to use this one as the marital conflict. But, but you throw all that, you know, all that, all the lust and all the greed and all the envy and all the self-hate, all the ways he's lost his temper on that commute down the 405 when you're late to a staff meeting or whatever it is, all the ways that you've, you've challenged, um, you've lived outside of your true self. Let me see if I can zip this back up. All the sin in here is heavy. And, and, that, and then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, you got to carry that around. <laughs> hey, but you got to be who you really are. You made to play some catch. Let's go. That was the easy one. Throw, throw, there, oh, that's pretty good. I'm going to throw that ground ball. Look how good he is. Look at, look at how good he is living ordinary life with sin. Um, <laughs> let me, come on, brother. So like, look at him go, look at him go. Oh, the iPad. We didn't practice that. It's totally fine. Faith will pay for it later. Um, 
Holiness, holiness is, is so Old Testament style is, okay, you sacrifice for those sins. Um, once a year, the atonement comes out and you're good. All right, cool. Let's play some more. So now because he did the sacrifices, we can play. We're good. But then a day goes by. He lost it. He already forgot. He messed up. He, he's, and then it's two days go by and he's got his kids and he's got, okay, let's play. And this is the ongoing show. Catch. It's just like, this is the Old Testament. A cycle. You can put it down, bro. You did amazing. Can you give it up for Brian? You're incredibly skilled. I was expecting way more bulk drops. So you did really, really, I'm impressed with your skill. Um, sin is an obstacle. Sin is, was an obstacle for being the person you're called to be. And uh, we are called to act and live in congruence with the things God's called us to. But the Old Testament provided an option. Holiness was a, a momentary experience. But then we get to the New Testament. We get to the New Testament. And what happens is God is the one who makes the sacrifice in order for you to become holy. It's not something you have to do over and over and over. You don't have to go to the temple over and over and over again. You have to bring that sacrifice over and over again so that you can feel better about yourself. No, no, no. Paul starts off the conversation saying to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the saints in Long Beach, he begins with the definition, the clear, overwhelming evidence that you are a saint. Nowhere in the New Testament is a Christian called a sinner. When you become a follower of Jesus, your fundamental identity changed in an instant. All of the stuff, let's just pull this back out. All of the stuff that you're going to carry around trying to do whatever it is you're trying to and called to do or trying to be the person God's created you to be, it no longer has power over you. It's been disarmed on the cross. And Paul will say to his churches, he will, he will bring this into a moment of reputation that when you open yourself to Jesus, you accept a new reality. You accept a new reality of who you really are. You're no longer defined by what you've done. You're no longer defined by what's been done to you. You're no longer defined by how you think or how you feel about yourself. You are sacred, blameless, holy, power washed from the inside out. You are consecrated by God through Jesus on the cross for his purposes. Do we sin? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But sinner is no longer your identity. The letter begins with the statement because Paul knows as humans, we define ourselves by everything else in this world, don't we? Your truest self is found in Christ. And so in a world that's longing for their truest self, that has a billion-dollar industry around helping you discover who you really are, Christianity actually has the corner market. In fact, Paul's favorite phrase 
for describing the identity of followers of Jesus is not saints or holy. He'll use that over and over again. It's actually this phrase, in Christ. When Paul refers to disciples who were once Artemis pagan worshipers or ex-murderers, he will say your fundamental identity, yes, is holy. Yes, is sacred. Yes, is saint. But it's also primarily now identified as in Christ. Now, this is hard to understand. So why don't we read a passage in scripture? And then I got one more great illustration. Hopefully it's great. It's great in my mind. So I don't really know if you'll like it. One more great illustration with Tupperware. Um, Colossians chapter three. I want you to go there. And I know some of you need to read this passage and memorize this passage. You need to memorize this passage for so many reasons. One, you've defined yourself by the past. Two, you're terrified of your future. And three, because of your past and because of your future, you're paralyzed and hurting in the present. Colossians 3, verse 1. Here we go. It says this. Since then, he's talking to the church. Anyone here that says yes to Jesus, this is Paul speaking to you. Since then, you have been, past tense, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, past tense, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul gives us this whole new theology, which is almost impossible to understand. He simply says your life is hidden in Christ with God. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. So let me give you an illustration of what that looks like. Let's, let's zoom in. Ready? Uh, for those of you watching at home or outside, you are Chewbacca. For some of us, very easy to make that jump and that leap. We're tall, gangly, and hairy. Um, and sometimes we talk and it just sounds like gibberish. So you are Chewbacca. This is what Paul's saying. Your life is hidden in Christ. With Christ in God, who is triune. So Holy Spirit, Jesus. And God the Father. Ta-da. Now, I, w- I just want to pause. This seems maybe simple. But when you think about how the enemy's coming after you, do you see yourself like this? wrapped in the triune reality of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Have you thought about how, how much you think the, the enemy has power and access to hurt you or how little power you have to change when Paul is simply saying, actually, the most, the truest thing about you is this reality now? And he says, for those of you that are struggling with your past or your future, he says, by the way, your past, you died. Your past, all of those nights of being blacked out drunk, all of the shame from that behavior that was associated with that insecurity that was caused by somebody who was older than you that should have been taking care of you is done. 
It's dead. In all the ways, it's played itself out with power in the present. It no longer has to have power of defining you anymore. Your past, you died to it with Jesus on the cross. If you get to Romans 6, he'll say, it's dead, so kill it. Your present, your present reality is now hidden with Christ in God. And your future, well, this is really good news. When Christ appears, you appear with him in glory. How are we doing, church? I mean, I know I'm jumping all over the place. I'm bringing out Chewbacca and baseball and pulling out all the stops. But there's a significant reason why I'm pulling out all the stops on this particular passage. Because what I, I've struggled with the most as a pastor is helping followers of Jesus live out of the freedom they already have access to. So much of the conversation is about sin management and shame and fear and all these what-if conversations. And what the enemy has done is he's just piled up. So in Christ, you want to know what happened in Christ? In Christ, what Jesus did is he took all this stuff off. I'm going to pause for a moment because this is a prophetic moment for someone. In Christ, all the things that you brought in here today, all of the what-ifs about whether or not you can be forgiven for that thing. In our culture, where there's a fear of being canceled for messing it up. And I understand the sides but man, in the church, there's a grace culture. Paul, breathing out murderous threats, an apostle to the Gentile. God does a lot of redemption and renovation. And we think when we come to Christ that we have to do the work. We have to carry this and we have to do it ourselves what you fail to recognize is what grace is. It's Jesus saying, I can handle that. Just hand it over. And now we walk in freedom. And we walk in peace. And we walk in truth. We walk in holiness. We walk in holiness. I don't know what it means for us to have our lives hidden in Christ, to be honest. <laughs> But I know it gives us, um, I know that you no longer have biblical justification to call yourself a sinner if you are in Christ. Your true self is not found in what you think about yourself. It's not found in what you feel about yourself. Your truest self is not found in your sexuality. I'm going to just make this clear because our culture is confusing us. To, 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 to make identity um, simply about your sexuality is reducing who you are. It's diminishing the full capacity of your soul. 
Yes, you are a sexual being. Yes, you are a physical being. But you're also an emotional being, a relational being, a mental, intellectual being, and a spiritual being that is designed for eternity. Identity is more than what you feel or think or what society and culture tells you to think. It's found in Christ. It's found in this journey of becoming more like Christ. And when you become more like Christ, you become more your true self. When you become more like Christ, you don't become robotic. You become more organic and whole and and more eternal and life-giving and expansive than you could ever imagine. So don't just narrow your focus on one particular part of your soul dimension. Surrender your view, your feelings, your emotions, your ideas to that of Christ. And there's space to discover what that looks like along the way. So if we think, okay, you have to have your sexuality figured out before you come to Christ, you're doing this. If you think, well, I got to get this lust issue in order before I really accept Christ, you're doing this. If you think, well, this addiction keeps me from being a part of serving at the, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. There's nothing you can do to earn holiness. That system's dead with Christ on the cross. So stop trying to prove it to God. He's the one that proved it to you. That God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And when you say yes to that, then you are holy. So be who you already are. Christianity doesn't begin with scarcity. It begins with abundance. You are already more than enough. In Christ, you are holy, saint, purged, power washed from the inside out. Do you sin? Yes, you are holy. So now out of this new reality, begin to live out of who you really are. Stop trying to prove to the community, to your spouse, to your church, to God, what God has already ordained as true. How are we doing? You see why we need some intercession for this? Can I get some amens on that? Or I'll just do it all by myself. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? I'm just going to land a couple of points. Is this counting down? How much time was there? Seth, 40? Okay, great. Thank you. Why does this matter so much? Until you embrace who you are in Christ, you will fail to live out the God-given potential you have. Living out of a false identity will simply diminish the God life he's giving you. I spent most of my life living out of insecurity, fear, scarcity, self-hate, trying to prove my value to God, trying to prove my value to you all, y'all, the faceless community of the garden in my head. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not funny. I'm not a good, all, all that insecurity. I have a long list of, I am not blank enough. Insert your blank here. And it destroyed my life. It produced a performance a false identity, a false self. It, it, it produced this sense of I have to earn God's love. 
to the point where I, I was burned out of church ministry by 28 years old. Some of you were there when, when it happened. I woke up from a procedure where doctors were looking for um, issues with my colon, if you will, that most 60-year-olds have to do this thing, but I was 28 having to do this thing. I'm not going to name it for the sake of covering your ears. And when I woke up, he said, everything seems good. What do you do for work? I'm a pastor. Are you stressed? Yes. And yet Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here I am literally killing myself because I didn't know that God made me enough. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? That you're, you walk into a room, rather than with the ordained purposes of God on your mind, you're focused on yourself, whether or not you fit in. Rather than walking into that new job going, Lord, we got some work to do. You walk in going, oh man, I hope I can be a part of this. I hope I, I can fit into this culture. I hope I, this, and it's all, I hope I have friends rather than walking out of the confidence that God has called you and formed you and, and now you're in Christ, rather than walking into these spaces with the power of, let me just read Romans. This is what Paul says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. Now, if you, we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What just happened there? Paul argues that our identity as followers of Jesus, now we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're children of God. We've received a spirit of adoption, which makes us no longer slaves. We have the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. But not just that. If we are children, then we're heirs, heirs with God. And who sits on the throne? Christ. And Christ shares his inheritance and throne with us. We're co-heirs with Christ. Do you walk around with that level of confidence today? How on earth are you going to move mountains like Jesus commands or raise the dead or heal the sick or cast out demons unless you know who you really are? You, like me, tried to be identified by everything else in this world. Our wealth, our connections, our fame, our status, our vocation, but God gives us our truest validation and purpose. And until we understand this, we will fail to operate from that space. If we don't get this right, we will fail to live and operate in the world the way God designed us. This is why you understanding you're a saint matters. It has purpose in the world. I have so much flooding in my mind right now about where this comes out. I wasn't even thinking about how in Romans 8, it talks about creation waits for this, the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting to be liberated by the children of God. Come on, church. Saints, holy, 
set apart and sacred. I'm going to land it with one more uh, verse uh, from James 5. I just thought this was hilarious. Um, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It's just so matter of fact. If you're sick, go to church and let the leaders pray over you. And whatever is prayed in faith, well, it's going to be done. It's just a matter of fact. This is no, it's like the casual ending of the letter of James. The Lord will raise them up, it says. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I mean, I, I'm just, I was tripping out reading James this week. I'm like, isn't this, like the, this, the author of this book is just instructing his church, like, hey man, anyone in trouble, pray. Anyone happy, let them sing. Anyone sick, you know, just bring them forward. Let them pray. Let them heal the, heal the sick. Anyone that needs sin, let them be forgiven. It's just so casual, right? Like confess your sins so that you may be healed. When was the last time you had a good confession? Not because you felt shame, but because you recognize, oh, I was off from living out the calling that I have in my life to be holy. Right? And then it goes on and it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Wait, what? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't, would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You see, the vast majority of us live in response to fear, pain, shame, guilt, and false identities. We've organized around our lives around those things rather than organizing our time, our energy, our lives around the fact that we are saints and that God has work for us to do. And so I was just, I wanted to put this in your imagination for this week. If God calls you saint, holy, do you consider yourself a righteous person? Who is this statement for? If the scripture is true, he's saying the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, all of us in Christ are righteous. I want to give you a challenge this week to live out of your true self holy and record all of the answered prayers that you get. I want more answered prayers. Anyone else? You know, and I don't mean like, okay, win the lottery. I mean, like as Bill would say, become the kind of person that would pray the prayer that Jesus would pray if he was in that situation. I want to be formed in a way that my prayers are always answered. I know Jesus, I look, I look, I know all of Jesus' prayers weren't answered. I, I, I get, not everyone got healed. I'm just saying I want to become the kind of person that has effective prayer life. It starts with knowing who you are. Can we stand? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.